welcome to FabCab. This is the podcast for the International Journal of Feminist Approaches to Bioethics, brought to you by Fab Network. My name is Catherine McKay, and today I'm joined by Michael Montes from Western University to discuss his paper, Creating the Conditions for Trust Around PrEP as HIV Prevention, the Relationships of MSM with Sexual and Romantic Partners and Healthcare Providers. Hello, Michael. Hi there. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I wonder if you can just give us a little bit of an overview of your paper. Sure, yeah. First, uh, I was thinking I'd give a little bit uh, of a background uh, on PrEP, what it is, and the situation with HIV prevention today. And then I'll talk a little bit more about uh, my approach to the issue uh, in my paper and in my research more broadly. Um, so, so PrEP, or pre-exposure prophylaxis, um, is uh, one, very safe, two, highly effective, and three, a relatively new HIV prevention strategy uh, that's being targeted uh, and used by uh, MSM, or uh, men who have sex with men, or gay, bisexual, and queer men, uh, among other groups who are either at high risk for HIV or who are still disproportionately affected by HIV today. So I'll just pick up on those, those three things. So PrEP is really safe, has really few side effects um, and no serious side effects. Uh, it's highly effective. So it's actually up to 99% effective at preventing HIV, depending on adherence. Um, and it's relatively new. So there's two kinds of PrEP that are available, uh, oral and injectable uh, versions. Um, so oral PrEP was approved in the US in 2012 and in Canada, where I live, in 2016. Uh, and it's a combination of two antiretroviral drugs that are used to treat HIV. Um, and so it's a pill that's either taken daily or on demand around possible exposure to HIV. So that's the oral kind. And then there's injectable PrEP, which was approved in the US in 2021 and not yet approved in Canada. Um, again, it's an anti, it's a, the use of an antiretroviral drug um, that's also being used for HIV treatment. But this one's a shot that's administered every uh, two months. And it's even more effective than oral PrEP because it avoids issues of adherence. Um, so MSM are, are using PrEP and PrEP's being targeted towards them because they're at high risk for HIV for several reasons, including historical factors connected to the AIDS epidemic, as well as their sexual practices, which can include condomless sex and sex with multiple partners, as well as their sexual and romantic relationships, which more often include open and polyamorous relationships. So one of the reasons I think it's so important to keep thinking about the issues that are involved in the ethics of HIV prevention um, is that HIV rates are not actually decreasing among MSM in Canada or the US. Um, they seem to have either plateaued uh, and they're even increasing among certain groups according to age uh, and race or ethnicity. So I think there's a lot of work to be done on PrEP as HIV prevention by researchers in several different disciplines, uh, the social sciences, medicine, epidemiology, history, and of course, philosophy. Uh, so my focus uh, uh, in, 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 in this uh, issue, in this research topic, is on the social and political dimensions of the ethics of PrEP. Uh, and my focus in this paper in particular, from a feminist bioethics lens, are the relationships uh, of MSM that are affected by using PrEP of HIV prevention. And I think that trust is a particularly good moral concept for understanding the effects uh, on various relationships. Um, so PrEP is used in relationships. It's used in relation to others, specifically sexual and romantic partners. Uh, MSM have to trust their sexual and romantic partners, uh, as well as their healthcare providers who actually control access to PrEP, um, for it to be optimally successful uh, as HIV prevention and for it to really fit into their lives. 
So I consider uh, two things really, how trust affects the decisions of MSM around using PrEP as HIV prevention in their sexual and romantic relationships, uh, and also how the use of PrEP affects the relationships between healthcare providers, uh, healthcare institutions, and then MSM as patients. So this trust includes both uh, interpersonal trust, mostly between sexual romantic partners, as well as institutional trust between MSM and either the healthcare providers or institutions. Um, and all of these trusting relationships, I think, are complicated by different kinds of relationship or power dynamics um, between either partners or between, you know, healthcare providers and patients, uh, as well as, you know, the history of prejudice against MSM in healthcare institutions and society more broadly. So really what I argue in the paper is that uh, MSM, their partners and, and healthcare providers have to work together to create the conditions for trust in these different relationships in ways that promote understanding and conversations about uh, not just different, different uh, HIV prevention strategies, but also different sexual practices, different sexual and romantic relationships, um, things that MSM or, uh, you know, the way they're, they're integrating these, these HIV prevention strategies into their lives today. Yeah, thank you. So interesting. Um, I wonder if maybe you could tell us some of the kind of key points of your argument, especially around trust between people and between people and institutions. Yeah. So, so yeah, so there's basically like kind of two parts of the paper. The first one where I talk mostly about, uh, sexual romantic partners and sexual romantic relationships. And the second part where I kind of switch the focus to be about healthcare institutions and providers. And I really like that, that second part. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's something that I've been working on more recently. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I gave, uh, I gave a talk at uh, the Center for Clinical Ethics uh, and Unity Health Toronto recently to healthcare providers to kind of see what kinds of things that I can actually impart uh, to them uh, about this this issue that they are going to be facing with their patients. So um, really, I think that uh, the, the history of medicalization of homosexuality really weighs on these relationships um, because whether or not a healthcare provider uh, is going to prescribe PrEP is going to depend on how much they know about, uh, about the history of HIV, but also uh, the, the kinds of sexual practices their patients are engaged in and the kinds of relationships that they um, are building. And those kind of uh, conversations between healthcare providers and especially say MSM or gay, bisexual, queer men in an institutional or in a clinical setting can be really difficult because you know we have to share uh, really uh, you know intimate details about our about our, our personal lives with our, our doctors or with nurses, nurse practitioners, pharmacists, um, and so. Um, they might, if they don't know enough about our lives, they're not going to know which questions to ask to know um, if PrEP is going to be a right for us. Um, uh, or, you know, they might actually not even know about PrEP itself. And then it's going to, the, the roles are going to be flipped and we're going to have to be the ones asking for it or, or trying to educate uh, uh, the, the, the healthcare providers about it. And this all, of course, is going to depend on where you're at. You know, if you're in an urban center, you might have healthcare providers, especially at sexual health clinics um, uh, that really know about this. And if you're in a rural setting and you're, you're talking to your family doctor, uh, that might not always be the case. Um, and so the trust in those relationships between uh, individuals, you know, MSM who are gonna be patients in the setting and their healthcare provider um, is really key um, to, to kind of getting that information out there. Um, but it's also gonna involve uh, uh, trusting institutions more broadly because, you know, we're walking in 
to a doctor's office or into a clinic. Um, and if we don't feel like we're gonna be able to feel comfortable in that space, um, sharing this kind of information about ourselves, um, or even going to these spaces in the first place, then we might miss out on access to PrEP, um, not to mention other, other issues of access around cost um, and you know, coverage. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so I, I kind of try to pull apart some of the ways that um, you know, the history of institutions, education institutions um, affects these relationships and, and whether or not uh, you know, we can actually trust institutions in the same way that we can trust uh, say healthcare providers, uh, I find that to be a really interesting <laughs> uh, a part of the paper, and just a just a aspect of the philosophy of trust more broadly. You know whether or not you know the we can trust uh, governments, you know institutions, uh, uh, corporations. You know typically we think of trust as an interpersonal concept. We trust another individual, another person, another agent, um, and whether or not these institutions, um, whether or not trust applies in this case. Uh, is something that's really interesting, but I think it helps us, uh, practically speaking, um, you know, make make these environments a little bit more conducive to to actually, uh, you know, linking uh, MSM with with prep as issue of prevention. If that's going to be something that's going to be helpful for them, and for many, it is. Yeah, I think this the question of trust is super interesting, and I want to come back to the institutional bit in a minute. But you also talk about the dynamics just within. A romantic or sexual relationship, and um, and how much trust is required there. And I wondered, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just wondered if you could say something about that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that one, you know, it kind of uh, it fits the model we have in the philosophy of trust a little bit better, right? Interpersonal trust between between two people, you know, where we trust them to do something. Uh, and maybe they trust us if we're, we're you know, in a, in a relationship um, of any kind. But yeah, when I, when I try to, to think about how uh, PrEP is going to affect different kinds of interpersonal relationships, um, you know, there was this kind of uh, nuance that I had to bring to that, that exploration because there's just so many different kinds of sexual and romantic relationships um, that MSM engage in, but the that everyone does, you know, depends on how many partners you have, depends on the relationship agreements you have with your partners. When it comes to being vigilant about HIV prevention, it matters uh, what people's HIV status is. Um, and so, you know, you know, determining how trust is gonna be affected by PrEP really has to do, really have to, to appreciate all those different kinds of relationships. And so I try to go through <laughs> and think about, you know, uh, relationships that are dyadic or non-dyadic, relationships that are open or closed, and then more colloquially, you know, relationships that are either monogamous or polyamorous. Um, and so what I think you can see maybe across all of those, because I don't, can't really get, get into all of it, but is that, you know, uh, PrEP is going to change how we trust our partners because of the way, of how it's used, right? So the main alternative, when we're thinking about HIV prevention for MSM, when we think about sexual transmission of HIV is going to be condoms. And so uh, there's, what I think is really interesting is that there's a moment when you have to trust your partners to use a condom, uh, whereas... You know, and, and you're kind of together, <laughs> you're in the heat of the moment, as we like to say sometimes. Um, but there, but 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 for prep, you know, you're taking it before uh, and you know after um, uh, uh, you know uh, having sex. And so, what you're trusting your partner to do when they're using condoms is very different 
when you're trusting them to use prep. So one maybe takes uh, a kind of courage, a kind of um, a kind of initiative in a moment, which can be uh, really difficult for some people, but maybe really easy for others. Um, and when we're trusting people to take prep, we're trusting people to stick to a schedule, right? I mentioned adherence is important um, for its effectiveness. So we really need to trust that people are accessing prep, you know, going uh, to get their 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 supply, uh, going for uh, regular STI testing, which is kind of a prerequisite for accessing prep, and then actually using it um, correctly and consistently. And so that's going to require different different kinds of strengths, right? Like keeping a schedule. Um, and, and so what you're doing there is it's, you're trusting people in very different ways. Um, and so your assessment of whether your partner is trustworthy or not is gonna change um, uh, on, on that front. Um, and then I guess coming back to kind of some of those different kinds of relationships I mentioned, you know, it, it, prep use is going gonna, is gonna to change uh, partners' perceptions of each other uh, in different ways. So if you're in a monogamous relationship um, and your partner wants to or is using prep, that might, might indicate that they want to change the relationship uh, agreements that you have. They might want to have uh, other sexual partners. Um, and so that could cause some, some friction perhaps in the relationship. But if you have an open relationship and you or your partner decide to, or your partners decide to use PrEP, that might actually increase the kind of comfort and safety that you feel with them when you're engaging um, with having partners outside of, of the relationship. Um, and so people sometimes are nervous about having conversations about PrEP because, uh, because of say the associations with an open relationship or having multiple sexual partners. But again, depending on your relationship, agreement, that might actually be something that is really in, uh, enhancing for your relationship, might enhance the relationship quality. Um, and we see that, you know, different, uh, different uh, kinds of relationships are more conducive to uh, conversations around PrEP. So open relationships and polyamorous relationships, there's already a foundation of trust between partners that can be drawn on to like add this extra uh, ingredient to their relationship um, that sometimes, you know, maybe dyadic or, or closed or monogamous relationships might not have that same kind of trust um, that uh, that goes into uh, the ways in which we might trust the partners with PrEP. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Again, there's something I want to come back to in what you just said. But before that, I want to ask you something about, um, about trust within the relationships, because I thought mm -hmm. there's something that you said in the paper, and you just said it again now, which is about kind of contrasting condom use with the use of PrEP and um, how there is a kind of symmetry in the trust um, between partners when people are trusting each other to um, take prep or, or you're trusting the other to take prep consistently. But what, what I was wondering when I was reading the paper was, isn't there an element of self-interest here in taking prep yourself consistently and um, correctly? So that yes, that there is an element of trust and your partner, but there's also, but you could do a lot to protect yourself by doing this for yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a really great question. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you kind of saw that in the paper because yeah, there's a few, there's a few things that I think uh, are helpful for understanding that idea of protecting yourself. Um, 
Well, one is the idea of self-trust, right? Like I talked about, you know, um, both condoms and PrEP require different kinds of skills or different kinds of strengths, right? Whether it's initiative or maintaining a schedule. Um, and, and so you might know which one you're better at. And so you might choose the, 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 the HIV prevention strategy that is going to be one that you trust yourself to, to, to stick to. Um, right? If you find it hard to use condoms in the moment, then you might want to use PrEP. Or, or if you have, have a hard time sticking to a schedule, then you might want to just use condoms in the moment. Um, so the, the interesting thing is that, uh, like you said, you know, taking PrEP does protect you, of course, from, from, from HIV transmission. Um, but what's, what's interesting, and, and in the paper I talk about it a lot, is that you using PrEP is also um, a protection for your partners as well, because if you're making sure that you um, don't have uh, HIV, then that's going to also be helpful for your partners. And so one thing that's also interesting is that I mentioned this at the beginning that, um, that the, the drugs that are being used uh, as HIV prevention in PrEP are also used for HIV treatment. So, so people who are, who are living with HIV, um, they are using some of these same drugs to maintain um, their, their treatment, which if they can maintain an, uh, their viral load uh, to be undetectable, then it's actually untransmittable. So the idea of taking the medication to make sure that it's impossible for HIV positive people to, to, to transmit HIV to others is, that, is, is kind of the same thing. They're, they're, they're protecting their own health, but they're also protecting their partner's health. I think there's something to be said about the fact that HIV is kind of a, this, that's like, there's an equal risk for most MSM, right? Everybody's kind of at risk for the same negative consequence of sex. Um, and so using it for yourself is also helpful for, for others. But what PrEP is often compared to is the birth control pill, which doesn't have the same kind of mechanic um, because, uh, because of the difference between, between partners when the negative outcome or the, the outcome that's, that's being avoided from sex is, is pregnancy, um, if, if that's how the pill's being used, um, then you know, uh, uh, it, it's just gonna it's it, it, it's gonna not create a symmetrical relationship between partners. There's gonna be an asymmetry, right? Um, in a case of a man and a woman having sex, um, you know, if if a woman is using uh, the birth control pill, then she's kind of the one who's responsible for for that prevention strategy. Um, and you know, that's not gonna help the man not get pregnant because he's not gonna get pregnant in this one case. But for PrEP, you know, if you have two HIV negative partners, if one of them is using PrEP and the other isn't, that other one is also protected from, from HIV transmission. So there's a, there's a, there's a kind of, of symmetry there um, that's really interesting. Um, and, and again, two people who are HIV negative can both use PrEP uh, to protect themselves and each other. And the same goes for people who, you know, for partners or for uh, who are who are HIV positive and HIV negative. If they're both using um, either HIV treatment or HIV prevention, they're they're protecting their own health, but also protecting each other's health. Mm -hmm. So there is a neat way in which PrEP can kind of foster this kind of symmetrical uh, trust in relationships or the symmetry uh, that you pointed out. Mm -hmm. I want to come back to something that you said um, previously, and it also kind of ties into the institutional stuff because. Um, You've spoken about a couple of times the sorts of things that might be the right kind of conditions for trust. So I wanted to ask you, like, what are the conditions for trust? Yeah, no, that's that's a really great question. Um, and so I think that, you know, some of them have to do with um, 
uh, being knowledgeable about, um, about, in this case, PrEP, um, making sure that, you know, sexual and romantic partners, healthcare providers and patients, that everybody's under, uh, on the same page with what, what the facts are about how, how effective PrEP is, how to use it, those kinds of things. Um, but a lot of it has to do with being able to have uh, conversations and share information with, with, with each other. So for, for sexual and romantic partners, you know, being able to disclose what, like, you know, what kind of HIV prevention strategies or treatment strategies they're using um, is going gonna, is gonna to be something that's sometimes difficult to do. So to create a, a, a relationship where people feel like they have an you know, open uh, line of communication where they can share those kinds of things, um, not just about the kinds of HIV prevention strategies they might want to use, um, but the kinds of sexual practices they want to engage in or the kinds of relationship structures they want to have. So I think one of the conditions for trust is having this open communication and being able to really discuss these things that can often be really difficult, right? Like I mentioned, you know, it could it could come across to somebody that, um, you know, you, you want to have uh, uh, more partner, uh, you know, uh, partners, uh, more casual sexual partners, that could be hard for some partners to hear, um, you know, wanting to, you know, change relationship agreements or change uh, sexual practices between, say, different partners uh, can be something difficult to express. And so making sure that people have an understanding of, of the idea that different, uh, different practices, different relationships, different strategies um, are all kind of uh, available to us at this time. And so to try to figure out what works for individuals, but also what works um, in relationship with, with partners is really important. Uh, and so those conversations uh, need, the first thing is the information, right? Really just how this works. And, and you know, uh, that's going to involve the history, that's going to involve, you know, uh, like I said at the beginning, the, the prevalence of HIV, um, uh, the kind of risk factors that are, uh, that are relevant. Um, and so that would be in the relationships. And I think the same thing kind of goes for creating the conditions for trust in the relationships between healthcare providers and MSMS patients. It's, you know, being able to communicate things with each other. So the, the, the healthcare providers obviously have to be knowledgeable about PrEP, but they also have to be knowledgeable about um, the lives of gay, bisexual, and queer men, right? The kinds of sexual practices that they engage in, the kinds of relationships they build, and the, ki and the kinds of sexual practices that are involved in different kinds of relationships, right? If they are asking, you know, uh, questions uh, in the clinic that are come from a heteronormative kind of place, uh, assuming that people are monogamous or assuming that people only have you know certain kinds of sex with certain kinds with certain people, um, they're going to miss important information and. I think that you know making sure that healthcare providers are are asking questions in ways that encourage patients to share information about themselves is going to be really important. So again, that kind of open communication and being able to discuss sensitive, you know, personal uh, things is going to be really important uh, to be building trust, right? To be able to have the conversations that actually get us to a place where we, you know, can trust people enough to open up. Um, yeah. Yeah. It kind of seems like, it seems like open and honest communication is a result of trust, but also a condition for trust. So it kind of seems like it's a tough one to know when you've, when you've got enough trust as a kind of baseline to be able to engage in that. That seems like a tricky thing. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you got it right. You know, yeah, I think that to get to get to a place where you trust people, you're going to require this kind of open dialogue. Um, and that's that's tough to have to that's tough to have before you really have a sense of trust. Um, but once you do, it's hopefully more likely that you're going to be able to continue that kind of uh, dialogue or conversation. Um, but yeah, building trust is, I think, notoriously difficult. Um, and I think it's really different uh, between sexual partners uh, than it is between, you know, healthcare providers and healthcare institutions and patients. In that sense, you know, building that kind of trust is going to take quite a lot more given some of the, the historical, you know, prejudice and injustice that MSM faced in those settings. Um, and so, yeah, that's going to be an extra amount of work to, 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 to go into that. And that's going to require, you know, information campaigns, you know, signaling to patients when they're in spaces um, that they are welcome there and that, you know, figuring out the wording of questions, um, the kind of institutional barriers that might be might be in place. Um, and then trying to trying to overcome those um, in order to be able to have those conversations and to build enough trust that those conversations can continue. Yeah, definitely. Um, so did you face any particular challenges when you were writing the paper? Yeah, so I mean, I feel like we encountered them again just talking about the paper. <laughs> um, but there are there's just so many nuances to the kinds of relationships that we can have, especially uh, thinking about different kinds of sexual and romantic relationships when we factor in different kinds of sexualities, different genders, different you know HIV statuses. Like there's there's just so much diversity in the kinds of relationships. Um, that are impacted by HIV prevention. And, and like I, when I tried to talk about the birth control pill, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to bring out all the nuance when you use you know, one example. So really trying in the paper to, to, to carefully consider how trust might be impacted by PrEP uh, in different relationships. Like I mentioned, thinking about monogamous, polyamorous, open uh, relationships um, was tough, you know? And then factoring in the different kinds of uh, HIV status or Sarah status you can have between the different partners in different relationships. Um, so trying to keep keep that all you know uh, in line as I was writing the paper and even talking about it can be really challenging. But I think that's it. Almost like proves part of the point is that you know relationships are going to be really unique to individuals, to partners. And so what you want to do is be able to to figure out what is right for you, right, and be able to express that. To, to your partners, to know it for yourself. And then um, because, you know, healthcare providers and institutions control access to PrEP, you need a prescription, you need to go for STI testing, HIV testing, you know, you need to be able to communicate that with, with, with those institutions, with those healthcare providers as well. You need to be able to share all that information. Um, uh, and so, yeah, uh, kind of focusing in on how people are able to know those things and then express them um, is, is is challenging to 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 write up in a paper when when there is such a diversity of those experiences, um, but I think it was uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, part of a paper like this to have something that I think is a little bit technical really <laughs> when you're when you're talking about something that oftentimes people don't think of as very technical right they just think about it as that's their relationships right and so when I when I talked about this with people they're like oh so I have a you know, closed dyadic relationship. You know, you often don't think of your relationship in those kinds of terms, but to try to get clear on, you know, 
the different kinds of ways uh, PrEP is going to affect trust, affect relationships, and what we're going to do about that with creating the conditions for trust in those different relationships to try to tackle all of that required a really like nuanced approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a little tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that. <laughs> um, well, thank you. This has been so interesting. I wonder if uh, you've got any sort of takeaway messages that you hope that readers or listeners will leave with. Um, yeah, well, I think that I have a couple takeaways. One is, I think, about the actual you know uh, topic that I focus on in the paper, which is PrEP and HIV prevention. So uh, I hope that people you know have the takeaway that you know these conversations that I've been mentioning uh, around PrEP and HIV prevention. I think need to continue to evolve uh, beyond discussing, you know, just different uh, HIV prevention strategies, different options, to actually discussing the kinds of skills, I've often talked about them as like, you know, communication skills that are really necessary for new options to fit into the lives uh, of MSM or anyone who's who's using them. Um, So those are the, you know, the skills to discuss the effects of using those uh, those different options on relationship quality, on mental health, social justice. Um, and I think the larger takeaway, because I think that, you know, I think there's a lot in this paper for people who aren't necessarily, um, uh, you know, versed in preparation of prevention. Um, and that's the, um, I'm trying to point to the social and political dimensions of, uh, you know, a medical or a health issue. And I think that, you know, this is what feminist bioethics, I think, often does, which is, is try to situate um, situate these issues in a in a in a broader lens that appreciates how how different medications, different treatments can affect relationships between all sorts of people, partners, family members, friends, healthcare providers, patients. Um, so I, I yeah I, I think I'd like to encourage people to to obviously learn about the specific issue of PrEP and HIV prevention, but to think about the parallels um, that might. Uh, you know, uh, be helpful for other things. The birth control pill as one example, but but so many different healthcare issues have these kinds of uh, relational dimensions that I think um, are sometimes overlooked. And so I encourage them to apply this same kind of uh, analysis in other ways. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Thank you so much as well. And thank you for listening to this episode of FabGab. You can find the paper we've discussed linked in this episode's notes, along with a transcript. FabGab is hosted and produced by me, Catherine McKay. You can find our other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts of quality. You can subscribe to FabGab so that you'll never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening. Bye.